0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Boucher, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will discuss the Trump administration's 2020 regulatory budget. This is the administration's third regulatory budget and the third ever. Dan Bosch, AAF's Director of Regulatory Policy, will be on to explain all of this for us. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, what can we expect from the administration's new 2020 regulatory budget? Well,
1: what we can expect is for this to be their most deregulatory year yet in terms of net savings. Uh, they're projecting to save $51.6 billion this year. And to put that in some context, if you add up the savings from their three previous years, we have it at $45 billion. The administration sort of adjusted it for inflation, and they say it's almost
0: $51 billion. But this year will be bigger than those three years combined. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we're going to get into how they're going to achieve that. But just for a minute, let's take a step back and uh, quickly just talk about, um, for those who might be new to the podcast or those like me who don't follow it every day as much as you do, um, can you let us know what the regulatory budget is? Sure.
1: Well, in its simplest terms, it's similar to a regular government budget, where in a government budget sense, uh, Congress will say, well, X agency, you can only spend Y amount of dollars this year. Um, In the regulatory budget context, the administration says, agency X, the cost of your regulations that you impose can only be a certain amount for this year. Mm -hmm. And actually, in the Trump context, they've taken it a little bit further. And for most agencies, they've said your uh, cap has to be negative. So, in in essence, you have to hit a savings target as opposed to a cost cap.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that uh, when it comes to deregulation, it's not as easy as just taking out an eraser or taking out, of course, a, some right. white, you know, some white out and getting rid of it. There's a whole process involved in that.
1: Exactly, every deregulatory action goes through the same
0: process that a, a normal regulation would go through, mm-hmm. and which you have a great video explaining all of the the different ins and outs of how that process works. So, again, in we've talked about this in I think our last podcast back at the end of the 20, 2019 regulatory budget cycle. But how has the administration fared in the past meeting its targets?
1: Yeah, so they, the first year they set a target of about $0. They just wanted to come out even. And they exceeded that with more than $7 billion in savings. In FY 2018, they also exceeded their target again by about $9 billion. Last year, in FY nineteen, they were a little under their target. Their target was about $17.5 billion and they came in around a half. Uh, but still majorly uh, saving money when it comes to
0: to regulations. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get back into the 2020 budget um, discussion. You've mentioned in a lot of papers that uh, a lot of savings are coming from a few agencies. Where are these large savings coming from? Well, primarily for this year, we expect them to come from
1: EPA and DOT. So that's the Department of Transportation, obviously. Um, and actually, it's, it's going to really come from one rule, um, which is just so enormous in its savings impact that it'll outweigh pretty much everything else uh, that's in the regulatory budget for the year.
0: So you've written that we will see unprecedented savings um, from one rule in particular, and that is the SAFE rule. Um, Explain what is happening here.
1: Sure. So the SAFE rule stands for the Safer, Affordable, Fuel-Efficient Vehicles Rule. Um, And it's a rule from EPA and the Department of Transportation that will essentially lock in place the vehicle mileage efficiency standards from model year 2020 all the way through 2026. And so that sort of goes back... And deals with an Obama administration rule that would increase those standards from 2021 all the way through 2026, and so those agencies expect to get about 80 billion dollars in savings from that rule.
0: Yeah. So, is there any like uh, attempt to put in a new rule to replace this rule? Is it, or are they just getting away with it altogether? They're actually they're modifying an
1: existing rule. Okay. So The Obama administration had a rule that.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. strengthen
1: these standards and the Trump administration is sort of putting a hold on mm-hmm. that or increasing them less um,
0: severely mm-hmm. than the Obama administration. Because I remember, does. I remember, I can't remember exactly what rule it is, you've written on it before, that uh, there was a rule that they expected a lot of savings, but then it ended up being a net increase in regulatory costs um, in last year's budget. So I was wondering if something similar might happen with that. Yeah,
1: that was the repeal of the Clean Power Plan, uh, the Obama administration's sort of cardinal climate change rule. Um, and it's sort of similar in that they've, with the, the knowledge of time, um, they've been able to sort of tweak their analysis a little bit and what they expect from it, but... Um, this should not, in any way,
0: shape, or form, swing to the regulatory side of Got things. Got it. Got it. So now, I remember in your in your analysis back back when you you know were looking at this 2020 budget on paper, that you had a an, an excellent chart in there that basically showed that there was some agencies that we were going to see some increase in in regulatory costs in the twenty in the 2020 budget. One of them being, I think, Homeland Security Agency. What's going on with these increased costs? What should we know about it?
1: Um, there are two agencies that actually have a positive number for
0: this. Their, their regulatory budget, but
1: DHS is, is a huge number. It's uh, it's $35 billion that wow. they're expecting in 2020. So we took a look at the administration's regulatory agenda to try to figure out, well, what are the rules that are going to drive that cost? Um, and there are three rules in particular from uh, U.S. Immigrations and Customs Info- uh, Services that are going to be driving this, and so the rules that are aimed at tightening immigration standards. Mm. So it's sort of interesting that the Trump administration, on this one particular issue, is sort of abandoning its deregulatory approach, mm-hmm. and um, they're sort of putting their political goals of increasing um, the stringency of immigration above their deregulatory agenda. Got in this it. Case. Got it.
0: So it's not all it's not all roses on the cost saving sides. What other notable rules can we expect in this 2020 budget?
1: Yeah, so um, there are a few agencies that that are sort of notable. One is the Department of Labor. Um, we expect them to have the second most amount of savings this mm-hmm. year, um, and sort of through like minor sort of tweaking of how employers can account for certain things. The biggest one being a way that or a rule that will allow pension plan managers to provide electronic disclosures, and that's going to mm-hmm. save almost four billion dollars. And so that's a simple sort of example of a good deregulatory measure that just. Provides for more flexibility. Obviously, I think most people now would rather have their disclosures sent to them electronically versus getting this paper in the mail or or through some other means.
0: Yeah, I personally hate getting things in the mail. I'd much rather you just email it to me or, you know, go on go on to my tax seasons coming up. Go on to my TurboTax and do it that way rather than have to mail something off to the government.
1: Exactly. So I think that's a good example of a rule of a deregulatory action that's not providing even any opportunity for anything bad to happen or right. any sort of you know safety right. failure um, in any sort of way. Um, the Health and Human Services has been the biggest saving agency over the last two years for each of them. Um, they're, once again, projected to be a pretty big saver, almost $2 billion. But what's interesting is that we weren't really able to identify where those savings are going to come from hmm. um, because they have some particularly costly rules that they need to figure out a way to sort of net back out of the mm-hmm. process. Um, and one of those is a pretty controversial rule or well-publicized rule that requires health plans to disclose the cost of services and procedures. Interesting, okay. And then the, the last rule, I think, it's sort of a mystery rule. Um, it ha- it's from the Social Security Administration. We did not see any rules that they have in their agenda that are going to impose costs yet their cost cap is $3.7 billion. So they've got a big rule coming, and we simply don't know what it is at this point.
0: Interesting. So there's a, some mystery involved in this, and we'll have to continue paying attention to uh, to your to your work going forward. So just looking at this from a bigger picture, what, what impact has the administration's deregulatory push ha- had on the economy, on people in general, on businesses? Yeah, I
1: think the biggest impact, some people will criticize the deregulatory effort and say, well, if you look at the number of rules that have are on the books. There's still way too many, and you know, so they haven't been successful in that regard. I would argue the success has been that businesses don't f- don't worry so much about the next regulations that are coming. Mm-hmm. They're sort of now being able to take a, a deep breath, focus on growing their business, and not having to worry about what sort of mandates they're going to have to comply with coming out of Washington.
0: So they're getting rid of the uncertainty, basically, as just making businesses feel good about the future and. A little bit more optimistic. Exactly. No, know that for the time being,
1: anyway, they don't need to worry about more regulation coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, your colleague Dan Goldbeck um, had a great op-ed out recently discussing. You know, there is these great cost savings from the deregulation push, but you know, there's also this paperwork burden that's coming with it. What 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 is that about? Sure. So the the
1: paperwork burden has actually gone up by about three billion hours per year. Just under the Trump administration. Now, they're not entirely responsible for this. A lot of this comes from legislation that Congress passes. Got it. Um, The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, for example, required sort of reconfiguring paperwork to a large degree. And so that adds Mm -hmm. burden, especially on the initial years when it goes into effect. Um, But what Dan has found is that if you just apply sort of an average wage rate to those 3 billion hours – then what you've done is you've actually sort of wiped out all of the deregulatory savings that we mentioned at the top of the, Interesting. of the show. So this is certainly a problem that needs to be addressed. And Dan has some good thoughts on sort of how the problem happened and what can be done about it.
0: Well, we're going to have to have him back on for in a later podcast to discuss all of that. How can we follow you know the regulations over the next year uh, and the deregulations for that matter? Mm-hmm. So we track everything on our website,
1: regrodeo.com. That's updated weekly. And then also, in a nice, easily digestible format, on a weekly basis, we send out a newsletter called Week in Regulation, um, and that has a good summary of everything that happened in the previous week.
0: Mm -hmm, Which you can sign up for right on American Action Forum's website. But uh, yeah, it's a great product. I generally like seeing the week in regs every week. It sort of puts it all into context for me as somebody who doesn't follow regulations from week to week. Now, one more thing before I let you go. We always talk about, you know, one fun thing on the uh, the podcast before with our guests. And uh, we had a disappointing end to our NFL season, each of us, you being a Bills fan and me being a... uh, Evil Patriots fan, but uh, we have baseball season coming up, and I'm not sure if I'm excited about it, but uh, maybe you are. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan, and of course, you are a Mets fan. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm still hopeful for the
0: year, but just basically, all I can say about the
1: Mets is that only the Mets would figure out a way to get caught up in a cheating scandal of which they did not benefit from (laughs) at all. I mean, it's just sort of typical for how things have gone uh, for the last 20 years at least, and so. Hopefully they can put it behind them and put together a successful season. Yeah,
0: and you guys are playing in a tough division. A lot of the other teams went out and got got some players that... Yeah, and the defending champion nationals, of course. Of course, course, yeah, the hometown nationals. Yeah, we have to give them their their due at this point. So anyways, Dan, thanks for coming on, and I look forward to uh, tracking the progress with you throughout the year. Great, appreciate it. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.